You've got work friends, you've got best friends, and now you've got ghoul friends. Hello, and welcome to Spooky Stories with Celeste, episode two, with Caitlin as well. <laughs> Caitlin's here Am too. I here this time? <laughs> yes, you are here. All right. Here I am. Here we are. It's, you know, I asked on Instagram if people liked the first episode, we actually got a lot of people that said they did. So, yeah. you know, it sounds like it, it's well received. So we're going to keep it going. Let's keep her going. Um, you picked this one. I did. I went through a bunch. You showed me the kind of public domain mm-hmm. world of horror. And I just went through a couple and I read that one. And I was like, you know what? I think my wife would sound really hot saying <laughs> all that spook. So. Reading all them words. It's your turn. Okay. So today's story is going to be Outside the Door by E.F. Benson. Um and just a little fun fact, I was reading this before we started. Um, this was originally published in the London Magazine in 1910. Um, and it actually impressed uh, major horror author H.P. Lovecraft enough that he mentioned E.F. Benson in uh, one of his essays. Oh, cool. So just a little reference there. So I picked a good one. You did. I do. I've read a little bit of E.F. Ben- Benson, but I don't think I know this one. Awesome. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Get your blanket. Get your beverage to sip on while you listen. You know what would be really good? What? A pumpkin spice iced coffee. Yes, from it Duncan. would. And it would be great if it was 55 degrees outside. And the leaves. You know what, though? The leaves are changing here. They They're are. not a lot, but there are a couple trees that yeah. have started turning a little bit like yellow different colors yeah reddish they are and fall is coming it is just hold on folks fall root. is coming yes that magical time of year is almost it is upon us the next major holiday is halloween so amen yay yeah you know our, well other than labor day but whatever <laughs> we're skipping straight we halloween <laughs> we don't care about that no fall is coming but there's no reason why it can't be fall in your mind so right. grab your blanket turn the lights down low we and have our favorite spooky black cat sitting right next to us. Whether he will be quiet for the entire time is questionable. So He's not going to be. Sorry if that ruins the mood here, folks. <laughs> but without further ado, this is Outside the Door by E.F. Benson. you got to learn how to turn that off. I don't know how to turn it off on the Mac. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> I don't know if they can hear the ding or not. I don't know. This is Outside the Door by E.F. <laughs> Benson. <laughs> The rest of the small party was staying with my friend, Jeffrey Aldwich, in the charming old house that he had bought at a little village north of Sheringham on the Norfolk coast, had drifted away soon after dinner to bridge and billiards, and Mrs. Aldwich and myself had had the time been left alone in the drawing room, seated one on each side of a small round table, which we had very patiently and unsuccessfully been trying to turn. But such pressure, psychical or physical, as we had put upon it, through the friendliest and most encouraging nature, had not overcome in the smallest degree the slight inertia which was so small an object might have been supposed to possess, and it had remained as fixed as the most constant of the stars. No tremor even had passed through its slight and spindle-like legs. In consequence, we had, after a really considerable period of patient endeavor, left it to its wooden repose and proceeded to theorize about psychical matters instead, with no stupid table to contradict and practice all our ideas on the subject. This I had added with a certain bitterness born of failure, for if we could not move so insignificant an object, we might as well give up on all ideas of moving anything. But hardly were the words out of my mouth when there came from the abandoned table a single peremptory rap, loud and rather startling. What's that? I asked. Only a rap, said she. I thought something would happen before long. 
And do you really think that is a spirit rapping, I asked? Oh dear, no. I don't think it has anything whatsoever to do with spirits. <coughs> Sorry, I bet it does. <laughs> Methinks it does. <laughs> More perhaps with the very dry weather we have been having. Furniture often cracks like that in the summer. Now this, in point of the fact, was not quite the case. Neither in summer nor in winter have I ever heard furniture crack and the table had cracked, for the sound, whatever it was, did not at all resemble the husky creak of contracting wood. It was a loud, sharp crack, like the smart concussion of one hard object with another. No, I don't think it had much to do with the dry weather either, said she, smiling. I think, if you wish to know, that it was the direct result of our attempt to turn the table. Does that sound nonsense? So I believe when they're talking about turning the table, they're trying to, like, I think, turn it with their minds. Like, they're not actually, like, picking a table up and, like, moving moving it. it. Table turning was a uh, practice during, I think, the spiritualist movement that people were very much trying to experiment with the powers of their mind and, like, what they could do. They were trying to Matilda the shit out of it. Exactly. They were trying to Matilda it. Yes. At present, yes said I, though I have no doubt that if you tried, you could make it sound sense. There is, I notice, a certain plausibility about you and your theories. Now you are merely being personal, she observed. For the good motive to goad you into explanations and enlargements, please go on. Let us stroll outside then, said she, and sit in the garden, if you are sure you prefer my plausibilities to bridge. It is deliciously warm and... And the darkness will be more suitable for the propagation of psychical phenomena, as at seances, said I. So these are our kind of people. They're like, go outside in the sun? No. Let's sit inside and try to make some shit happen with our brains. Did you ever try to Matilda things when you were younger? I probably still do. (laughs) I'm like, did I I just make that plant move? I think I might have. Yeah. Um, Which reminds me, there is an episode. I found a new podcast that I really like called Spooked. And if you need a podcast, you should go listen. There's an episode called Burning Look about a guy who, like, can basically manipulate, like, electrical objects with his mind, and it's pretty wild. So, damn, go check that out. Oh, there is nothing psychical about my plausibility, said she. The phom- phenomena, I mean, are purely physical, according to my theory. So we wandered into the transparent half-light of the multidinous stars. The last crimson feather of sunset, which had hovered long in the west, had been blown away with the breath of the night wind, and the moon, which would presently rise, had not yet cut the dim horizon of the sea, which lay very quiet, breathing gently in its sleep with stir of whispering ripples. Across the dark velvet of the close-cropped lawn, which stretched seaward from the house, blew a little breeze, full of the savor of salt and the freshness of night, with every now and then a hint so subtly conveyed as to be scarcely perceptible of its travel across the sleeping fragrance of the drowsy garden beds, over which the white moths hovered, seeking their night honey. The house itself, with its two battlement towers of Elizabethan times, gleamed with many windows, and we passed out of sight of it and into the shadow of a box hedge, clipped into shapes and monstrous fantasies, and found chairs by the striped tent at the top of the sheltered bowling alley. Also, this house sounds bomb. Yeah, it does. And if all this is very plausible, said I, theories, if you please, at length, and if possible, a full-length illustration also. By which you mean a ghost story or something to that effect? Precisely, and without presuming to dictate, if possible, firsthand. Oddly enough, I can supply that also, said she. So first I will tell you my general theory, and follow it by a story that seems to bear it out. It happened to me, and it happened here. I am sure it'll fit the bill, said I. She paused a moment when I lit a cigarette, and then began in her very clear, pleasant voice. She has the most lucid voice I know, and to me sitting there, in the deep-dyed dusk, the words seemed very incarnation of clarity, for they dropped into the still quiet of the darkness, 
undisturbed by impressions conveyed to other senses. Now, my question, is the narrator um, male or female? Because if that's a female narrator, it kind of sounds like she's got a thing for her. Mm. And I'm here for that. (laughs) My initial thought was that it was a male. Yeah, probably. I just had that thought reading that. No. Le gay. A gay ghost story. I love it. (laughs) We are only just beginning to conjecture, she said. How inextricable is the interweaving between mind, soul, and life, call it what you will, and the purely material part of the created world. That such interweaving existed has, of course, been known for centuries. Doctors, for instance, knew that a cheerful, optimistic spirit on part of their patients conduced towards recovery. That fear, the mere emotion, had a definite effect on the beat of the heart. The anger produced chemical changes in the blood, and that anxiety led to indigestion. Very true. Yep. <laughs> that under the influence of strong passion, a man can do things which in his normal state he physically is incapable of performing. Here we have mind in a simple and familiar familiar manner producing changes and effects in tissue in that which is purely material. By an extension of this, though indeed, it is scarcely an extension. We may expect to find that the mind can have an effect not only on what we call living tissue, but on dead things, on pieces of wood or stone. At least it is hard to see why that should not be so. Table turning, for instance, I asked. That is one instance of how some force out of that innumerable cohort of obscure, mysterious forces with which we human beings are garrisoned can pass as it constantly doing into material things. The laws of its passing, we do not know. Sometimes we wish to pass and it does not. Just now, for instance, when you and I tried to turn the table, there was some impediment in the path, though I put down that rap which followed as an effect of our efforts. But nothing seems more natural to my mind that these forces should be transmissible to inanimate things. Of the manner of its passing, we know next to nothing, any more than we know the manner of the actual process by which fear accelerates the beating of the heart. But as surely as a Marconi message leaps along the air by no visible or tangible bridge, so through some subtle gateway of the body, these forces can march from the citadel of the spirit into material forms. Whether that material is a living part of ourselves or that which we choose to call inanimate nature. She paused a moment. So are you kind of following what she's, like, theorizing? Not really. I think she's just saying that, like, the mind, we know that there are things that affect how our bodies work. We know that fear causes the heart to beat faster. Mm -hmm. Anxiety causes indigestion, which it It absolutely does. does. (laughs) Um, So in that sense, there should be no reason that they shouldn't be able to turn the table it just, she was kind of explaining that in Something's that, blocking it. Something was blocking okay. them. So she's like totally believing that like, yeah, I got this you. all exists. I thought there was something a little more there. No. She's just saying something's blocking it. Okay. Yeah. Then I am following. Correct. Okay. Okay. Under certain circumstances, <clears throat> she went on, it seems that the force which has passed from us into inanimate things can manifest its presence there. The force that passes into a table can show itself in movements or in noises coming from the table. The table has been charged with physical energy. Often and often I have seen a table or chair move apparently of its own accord, but only when some outpouring of force, animal magnetism, call it what you will, has been received by it. A parallel phenomenon to my mind is exhibited in what we know as haunted houses, houses in which, as a rule, some crime or act of extreme emotion or passion has been committed and in which some echo or reenactment of the deed is periodically made visible or audible. A murder has been committed, let us say, and the room where it took, took place is haunted. The figure of the murdered, or less commonly of the murder, is seen there by sensitives, and cries are heard, or steps running to and fro. 
The atmosphere has somehow been charged with the scene, and the scene in whole or part repeats itself, though under what laws we do not know, just as a phonograph will repeat when properly handled what has been said into it. So this is all a theory, I remarked. But it appears to me to cover a curious set of facts, which is all we ask of a theory. Otherwise, we must frankly state our disbelief in haunted houses altogether, or suppose that the spirit of the murdered poor wretch is bound under certain circumstances to reenact the horror of its body's tragedy. It was not enough that this body was killed there. Its soul had to be dragged back and lived through it all again with such vividness that its anguish becomes visible or audible to the eyes or ears of the sensitive. That to me is unthinkable, or my theory is not. Do I make that at all clear? It's clear enough, I said, but I want support for it, the full-sized illustration. I promised you that, a ghost story of my own experience. Mrs. Aldwych paused again and then began the story which was to illustrate her theory. It is just a year, she said, since Jack bought this house from old Mrs. Dennison. We had both heard, both he and I, that it was supposed to be haunted, but neither of us knew any particulars of the haunt whatever. A month ago, I heard what I believed to have been the ghost. And when Miss Dennison was staying with us last week, I asked her exactly what it was and found it tallied completely with my experience. I will tell you my experience first, then give her account of the haunt afterwards. A month ago, Jack was away for a few days and I was here alone. On Sunday evening, I and my usual health and spirits, as far as I'm aware, both which are serenely excellent, went to bed around 11. My room is on the first floor, just at the foot of the staircase that leads to the floor above. There are four more rooms on my passage, all of which that night were empty, and at the far end of it, a door that leads into the landing at the top of the front staircase. On the other side of that, as you know, are more bedrooms, all of which at that night were also unoccupied. I, in fact, was the only sleeper on the first floor. The head of my bed is close behind my door, and there is an electric light over it. This is controlled by a switch at the bed head and another switch that turns on a light in the passage just outside the room. That was Jack's plan. If by chance you want to leave your room and the house is dark, you can light up the passage before you go out and not grope blindly for a switch outside. Usually I sleep solidly. It's very rarely indeed that I wake when once I have gone to sleep before I am called. But that night I woke, which was rare. What was rarer was that I woke in a state of shuddering and an unaccountable terror. I tried to localize my panic, to run it to earth and tried to reason it away, but without any success. Terror of something I could not guess stared at me in the face, white, shaking terror. So as there was no use in lying quaking in the dark, I lit my lamp and with the view of composing the strange disorder of my fear, began to read again the book I had brought with me. The volume happened to be The Green Carnation, a work one would have thought to be full of tonic to twittering nerves. But it failed of success, even as my reasoning had done, and after reading a few pages and finding the, the heart hammer in my throat grew no quieter, and that the grip of terror was in no way relaxed, I put out my light and lay down again. I looked at my watch, however, before doing this, and remembered it was ten minutes to two. Still matters did not mend. Terror that was slowly becoming a little more definite, terror of some dark and violent deed that was momently drawing nearer to me, held in its vice. Something was coming, the advent of which was perceived by the subconscious sense, and was already conveyed to me to my conscious mind. And then the clock struck two jingling chimes, and the stable clock outside clanged the hour more sonorously. I still lay there, abject and palpitating. Then I heard a sound just outside of my room that led, as I have said, to the second story, a sound which was completely commonplace and unmistakable. Feet feeling their way in the dark were coming downstairs to my passage. I could hear also the groping hand slip and slide along the banisters. 
The footfalls came along the few yards of passage between the bottom of the stairs and my door. And then against the door itself came the brush of drapery, and on the panels the blind groping of fingers. The hand rattled as they passed over it, and my terror nearly rose to a screaming point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then a sensible hope struck me. The midnight wanderer might be one of the servants, ill or in want of something. And yet why the shuffling feet and the groping hand? But on the instant of the dawning of hope, for I knew that it was of the step and that which was moving in the dark passage of which I was afraid, I turned on both the light at my bedhead and the light in the passage, opening the door, looked out. The passage was quite bright from end to end, and it was perfectly empty. Yet as I looked, seeing nothing of the walker, I still heard... Down the bright boards, I heard the shuffle growing fainter as it receded until, judging by the ear, it turned into the gallery and died away. And with it also died my sense of terror. It was of it of which I had been afraid. Now it and my terror had passed. I went back to bed and slept till morning. Again, Mrs. Aldwych paused, and I was silent. Somehow it was the extreme simplicity of her experience that the horror lay. She went on almost immediately. Now for the sequel, she said, of what I choose to call the explanation— Mrs. Dennison, as I told you, came down to stay with us not long ago, and I had mentioned what we heard, even though vaguely that the house was supposed to be haunted, and asked for an account of it. This is what she told me. In the year 1610, the heiress of the property was a girl, Helen Dennison, who was engaged to be married to young Lord Southern. In case, therefore, of having children, the property would pass away from the Dennisons. In case of her death, childless, it would pass to her first cousin. A week before the marriage took place... He and a brother of his entered the house, riding from 30 miles away after dark, and made their way to her room on the second story. There they gagged her and attempted to kill her, but she escaped from them, groping her way along the passage and into the room at the end of the gallery. They followed her there and killed her. The facts were known by the younger brother turning King's evidence. Now Mrs. Dennison told me that the ghost had never been seen, but it was occasionally heard coming downstairs or going along the passage. She told me that it was never heard except between the hours of two and three in the morning, the hour during which the murder took place. And since when have you heard it again, I asked. Yes, more than once, but it has never frightened me. I feared, as we all do, what was unknown. I feel that I should fear the known, if I knew it was that, said I. I don't think you would for long. Whatever theory you adopt about it, the sound of steps and the groping hand, I cannot see that there is anything to shock or frighten one. My own theory, you know. Please apply it to what you heard, I asked. Simply enough. The poor girl felt her way along the passage in despair of her agonized terror, hearing no doubt the soft footsteps of her murderers gaining on her as she groped her way along the lost passage. The waves of that terrible brainstorm raging within her impressed themselves in some subtle yet physical manner on the place. It would only be by those people whom we call sensitive that the wrinkles, so to speak, made by those breaking waves on the sands would be perceived, and by them not always." But they are there, even as when a Marconi apparatus is working, the waves are there, though they can only be perceived by a receiver that is in tune. If you believe in brainwaves at all, the explanation is not so difficult. Then the brainwave is permanent? Every wave of whatever kind leaves its mark, does it not? If you disbelieve the whole thing, shall I give you a room on the route of that poor, murdered, harmless walker? I got up. I'm very comfortable. Thanks, where I am, I said. (laughs) I find this story very relatable because this is about someone just like being scared shitless and be like, actually, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Do that. <laughs> no, thank you. I agree. No, it. Um, 
it kind of says, like, if you believe in ghosts, you're going to believe it. If you don't, yeah. you don't. I actually found that's a very, like, practical way to think about hauntings. Mm-hmm. The fact that, like, energy and weight, brain waves, whatever you call it, are imprinted on a place. And that may be what actually has, you know, causes the activity. The, yep. So, yeah. I liked that one. It was good. It wasn't, like, super, like, scary, scary. Mm-mm. But um, I think it was very realistic. <clears throat> yep. Also, that woman is, like a bad bitch because she was just like, yep, that was a ghost and that's all fine. That's yep. Because I know it's a ghost. And they're like, but you know, it's a ghost. She weren't scared at all. She wasn't. And her house sounds awesome. So I wouldn't move either. Yep. Yep. All right. There might be a little bit of a gap, a gap in there because for some reason, I'm not going to say her name. Our computer became possessed for a hot minute and was stopped recording. Yeah. So if there's a little skip in there, sorry. So sorry. Yeah. We're, doing our best work here yeah <laughs> well that's good right. i like these i enjoy them they're good they yeah. are good i like the um the idea that i pick one and you pick one yeah um because that was my first time reading that so well good yeah and i feel like i'm getting i'm trying to be better about not stumbling through words you did so, great sorry perfect <laughs> no you did great there was a lot of kind of big different words. i feel like all of these are old yes and so the writing style and the words are very different than they are what we're used to reading yes but you've done great and um yeah i'm proud of you i love them Good. I, I'm looking forward to the next one. Thank yeah, you me pick. too. Well, good. And if you have a um, you know a story that's public domain that you would like me to read, let us know. We're happy to do or that, that as well. Written. Or one that you've written. Yeah, that, that would, would be cool. cool. If you've written a story and you want us to read it, yep. send it over our way and we will do our best. You will do your best. I will do my best to bring it to life and <laughs> give it like a voice. I don't like to read. I don't like popcorn. <laughs> I like audiobooks and smut. Fair enough. Maybe one day that'll be my eventual goal to be like a voice narrator. That would be cool. Narrate audiobooks. That would be cool. That would be cool. Yes. All right. Good one. Any final words before we wrap this one up? I don't think so. The cats have settled and gone to their respective nap places. It got really windy. I wonder if it's going to storm. I don't know. It might. That would add a spooky ambiance now, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. Stay tuned for the next Scary stories or spooky stories with Celeste. Yes. Any final words? Mm, No. Well, for now, we (laughs) hope you stay safe, stay spooky. And remember, it's just a story. But just to be safe, I wouldn't look under the bed. (laughs) Except you look under the bed every friggin' night. I do. There's something to be down there. (laughs) You know what? I was trying to be dramatic. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, bye. bye.